0: Gus Quattlebaum, Andover class of 1993, is a baseball lifer. From his time at Andover playing in Phelps Park, to setting hitting records at Davidson College, to traveling across the Americas in search of the next big league star, Quattlebaum has made a career out of the game he loves. Now, as the Boston Red Sox vice president of professional scouting, he manages a team of national scouts, compiles player reports that influence roster moves, and oversees the club's minor league talent development. Back in January, Gus returned to Andover to participate in our hot stove night with fellow baseball insiders and took some time to talk with Kevin Graber, Senior Associate Director of Admission and Varsity Baseball Coach. He even hints at the eventual big bat signing of Slugger J.D. Martinez. Uh, This one's a must listen for Red Sox diehards and anyone who follows baseball or is looking to break into the business of sports. Play ball.
1: So Gus, tell us a little about what you do now. Uh, So now I oversee, I've started with the Red Sox over 10 years ago now, it's hard to believe. Uh, Started as a professional scout out on the West Coast, covering the major league, minor leagues, down to low A ball. Uh, Now I'm in the front office, came into the front office 2010 um, as an assistant director in amateur scouting, which consists of the domestic high school, college talent, which leads up to the draft every year in June. Um, So now I'm the VP of Pro Scouting, which consists of the major league, minor league scouting. So all the trades, uh, roster moves... Uh, off-season free agent signings, that goes through our department. So I oversee that now. We have about 15 scouts spread out all over the country that I help manage. And this was definitely not
2: your first job, as you mentioned. You worked your way up the ladder. I, I, I think if I remember correctly, you were at one point a player development intern for the Montreal Expos.
1: Correct. A long time ago, thanks to an Andover Connection, actually. Uh, Martha Beatty taught in Andover years ago, taught math, uh, Coach crew with my father, and Jim Beatty, obviously, a long time major league pitcher, was nice enough to give me my first opportunity as an intern with the Expos.
2: Definitely. And uh, you were a scout for the Yankees for a little bit, correct. scouted
1: for the Orioles as well,
2: and yep. then you came on board with the Red Sox as a, as a scout, correct? Correct. Yeah. Uh, when did you know that you wanted to be a scout? How did you make that determination?
1: Well, when it was abundantly clear that I wasn't going to pan out as a player, I wanted to somehow <laughs> stay involved in the game. Uh, as w- I, I would say when I was with the Expos, uh, in the office, um, got to I was exposed to a number of different parts of the game at that point and and got to sit in on the draft meetings. And I was just very intrigued by the process leading into the draft, what it took to be a successful scout, spent some time watching our minor leagues in the backfields and that's sort of where the passion grew for, for scouting. Now, you, you
2: glossed over your playing career, but you're, you're being quite modest. You were actually a really, really good baseball player. Now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to humble brag on your behalf here, okay? You played well, it's ba- all relative. So. <laughs> right. Well, you played, obviously, high school baseball here at Andover. Sure. Um, you played Division One college baseball at Davidson College. Uh, and in a game your senior year versus Virginia Commonwealth University, you had four home runs, had six hits. 10 RBI, and you set an NCAA single-game record with 18 total bases. That was all in one game. Correct. That's like a lot of people's full college career.
1: <laughs> Metal bats can do wonders for you. Well, what you, was but... going on? What did you got for breakfast that day? Did you drink an extra cup of coffee? Uh, ironically, I was terrible the day before. I remember how frustrated I was going to bed that night. Um, came back the next day, and I don't know, I just stars were aligned. And I remember a, fr- a family friend actually was there that day, called my parents up here in Andover, and um, my mom passed on the news to my dad. My dad was just like, no, no, that no, was a doubleheader. And my mom's like, no, I think it was one game. So good to know that your dad has full confidence in you. So.
2: Well, you had a lot of good days, apparently, because I believe you're second on Davidson College's all-time list with 35 career home runs. that that I'm not sure of so I think that's an accurate stat (laughs) (laughs) do you still scout or do you oversee scouts exclusively do a little
1: bit of both I do a little bit of both Uh, during the season I'm I'm responsible for covering our entire farm system so I will go down as far down as Fort Myers where our high school kids are playing Mm -hmm. and I will write reports on every single player in our farm system just so we have a sense of what inventory we have yeah so with the, the hiring
2: of Cora as the manager of the Red Sox, I was reading a lot of articles um, and a lot of them point to this trend now that being a major league baseball manager is now less about how good are you at in-game decisions uh, and more about how can you manage the personalities in that clubhouse Is that accurate? is this a, is this a growing trend? Is this something that you've seen as
1: well? I think it's a fair statement. Um, you know there's so much emphasis on the you know day to day with the media on the decisions that the manager made the night before. But there there's so many different personalities. This game has, gone, has truly gone global. I think we're proud of the fact that we have one of the more diverse clubhouses in the game. So it's gotta be someone who can reach a, a diverse audience. And so that's one thing that caught our attention with Alex is the personality and that how he can get the most out of people that he interacts with. So not only the players, but the staff medical staff. It's It's a full crew in there. It's not just the players. It seems like a much more human element now. Like
2: the players, they care what you know, but they also really want to know that you care. Oh, no doubt. As much as you can within, you know, the business side of professional baseball. No
1: doubt. I mean, this is a game of failure. So anyone who can make you feel like you're the best player in the room that's an important trait when they're doing their press conferences they're not just talking to the media they're talking to their team yeah and I think the difference you know with football coach Belichick who obviously an Andover guy that we respect tremendously he has to deal with the media once a week yeah in Alex's case he and I don't know if he even realizes this yet it's every day yeah so your calendar must point to June every year that's when the major league baseball amateur draft is that's one of the major dates on one the, of the calendar. Majors. Yeah, I mean, the trade deadline end of July is yeah. a big spot for us, depending on where our club is. Obviously, the biggest dates are, are it's the postseason. We're mm-hmm. hoping to get there every year. Yeah. So I, I guess you know we have a bunch of important um, time slots yeah. throughout the calendar, but the draft, by far the most important part of the organization in that This is where you can get affordable talent that you can keep for a long time and hopefully you can develop. And then not all of them are going to end up in Boston, but Mm -hmm. they become valuable trade pieces for us that helps you get a Chris sale. Yeah. Can you just describe what the draft is? Sure. Um, You know, starting in February is when the college season tends to start. And we have scouts. We have 19 amateur scouts spread out all over the country. They're responsible for a specific area. So, for example, we have two scouts in Southern California, two scouts in Texas. So some of the premium areas have more than one scout. Northeast has one scout, not as many players. Plenty of players, maybe not quite as much talent or regular playing time. Um, they present their lists in May when they come into Boston. These are the guys that I want in the draft. We take it all in. We have a magnet board that goes around, the much like a room in here, a conference room. And we have a separate, an additional staff set of cross-checkers who will go in and offer a second opinion on these players. So they'll all come in in May and present their cases on who they want. Come into and, Fenway. Yep, yeah. into Fenway, into our conference room. We call it the War Room. Yeah. And we try to build our lists. And then you try to get a sense of where these guys are going to fall. So then you spend more time. If it's Chris Bryant, as an example, what was that, five years ago, He's not getting to our pick at 24, wherever we were picking at the time. So you don't spend a ton of time on Chris Bryant, but you try to hone in on the guys that you think are realistic to get to your pick. Yeah. When the actual draft is taking place, are you in Fenway? Are you in Florida?
2: Where are your headquarters? We're in
1: Fenway, okay. and it's Christmas in June. That's uh-huh. when you get to find out who the new yeah. crop of players will be. Now, it, I, I don't think it's quite as uh, satisfying for the fans like as it is in the NFL where you get instant – results yeah. and you get that quarterback that's going to deliver next year You're trying to a lot project. of time yeah, yeah you have to project and mookie betts as an example was a sign fifth round i still can't believe to this day yeah. that he was a fifth rounder a high school player it takes him four or five years to get to boston mm-hmm. so fans may not hear about it. now with social media there's much more attention on our prospects maybe too much but
2: so that war room you described before what is that like on draft day how many voices are in that room? How many people? Who's making the final decisions?
1: Ultimately, the final decision falls with the general manager or the president of baseball operations. But the scouting director is the point person in that in that instance. So we've got a sense of who's going to get to us. We're talking to agents. They get a sense of what clubs are taking which player, and so you can kind of hone in on a couple guys. And then you start. You have to make sure nowadays there's a new rule where there's a bonus limit. You have a certain amount of money set aside for your top 10 rounds. Mm-hmm. So you have to adhere to that. Now, you can be creative, and let's say you give your first rounder his slot is $3 million. You could give him $1 million, save $2 million, and push it to someone else. But you have to stay with that pool for the top 10 rounds. Now, you could take a senior sign, mm-hmm. sign him for a grand, right? Yeah. And you've got another... I don't know. 800 grand left yeah. to spend on someone else. So there's a lot of strategy. It moves very quickly. Um, I would say we'd have our cross-checkers in there. So there're about 10, 12 guys in there yeah. at that time. Yeah. Are there arguments?
2: Is it contentious? Are people stating are people really advocating for a kid that they super duper
1: believe in? Oh, it can get emotional. It definitely can. I don't know if it gets to the point of, you know, the movies mm-hmm. where they show, you know, Moneyball, I think they showed some arguments, and then the NFL draft with the Browns, okay. I never saw that movie, but, um, oh, it can get emotional, and we, yeah. we always try to remind ourselves as we start the draft meetings a week prior to the draft to check the egos at the door, yeah. keep the emotions out of it, we're all just trying to find the best player for the Red Sox. Let's, let's backtrack
2: chronologically in your career a little bit, and just tell us a little bit about what you look for in a player, how do you know when you see someone, that that is a player that could one day play in the major leagues?
1: Well, it really varies from position to position. Um, There's so many different attributes that you can place on a catcher, as an example. Uh, Pitchers, we have to make that tough decision that is this kid who's pitching in high school throwing at Andover against Tabor, as an example, that this kid's going to be a starter in the big leagues or is he going to be a reliever? Now, we all coming up through the ranks in high school and college, if you're a prospect, you were probably the guy on your team, hitting third, playing short. So it's up to us to try to figure out where they're going to profile best. Mookie Betts was a shortstop in high school. Little did we know that you know we would extend Pedroya and he'd be with the Red Sox for as long as he's been. We had to find a different spot for Mookie. We thought he was athletic enough that he'd find a way to, you know, as long as you hit, we're going to find a spot for you.
2: Yeah, and if you're a shortstop, you're one of the better athletes on the field. Because sure. That's where they put the athletes. Yes. Um, and plus, Mookie Betts, an amazing bowler.
1: Yes, he was. Right. He actually, we joked, we had to create, we had to get creative with the commissioner's office on a dual sport contract at the time, mm-hmm. and we were smart enough to put in the bowling. As he had a bowling scholarship to yeah. the University of Tennessee, which is crazy if you think about it. Yeah. Uh, well,
2: how difficult is the process of finding players? And you know, from the Perspective of having been a scout on the ground going to watch guys play and now being an executive who oversees this whole process.
1: Well, the further down you go, so if you, the younger player you look at, the harder it is to project, to someday believe that this kid's going to play in Fenway Park or yeah. Yankee Stadium. So imagine on the international front, you're going in and watching 15-year-olds who are malnourished. Like Jose Altuve yes. was super young. Yeah, I mean, malnourished. Yeah. They don't have proper coaching, don't have proper health and fitness. They come from nothing. And you have to say that someday this kid's going to come to the U.S. and hit in Boston when he's, what, 20, 22 years old. Mm -hmm. So that's the challenge. And, you know, a lot of it's based on the athleticism, the makeup. We try to really get to know these kids to figure out what it takes to – help them succeed because this is a game of failure. I, I would say that it, the hardest part at the younger levels is internationally, they're not playing games. It's workouts. So you get to see them run the 60, mm-hmm. get them, see them throw from the outfield or throw from shortstop. We set up some scrimmages, but you don't really get to see them play in games. Mm-hmm. So then you have to make a million dollar decision based on some scrimmages and a few at-bats. Mm-hmm. Now, it's even harder, I would say, not because they're necessarily the same age, but the high school kid. You come in to see a hitter at Phillips Academy Andover against Exeter. He's the guy. He's the three-hitter for you, right? Like a young Gus Quattlebaum. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> scouts did not come <laughs> to see me. But you, imagine you come in and you come to see this kid. If Exeter – if this kid is a real dude mm-hmm. – Exeter's not throwing to that guy. They intentionally walk him two out of three times. He gets one at bat, he pops up to second. Yeah. Okay, you're the cross-checker. Now you have to make a decision what round you're taking him and how much money you're giving him. Right. So it gives you a little perspective of how hard. And that's why we miss. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so of all the players that you've scouted, uh, let's say it's, there's a current major
2: leaguer out there, and this was you saw this person play, and you were like, that's a five-tool guy. Graded eights across the board. Can you point to someone who rings a bell in that regard? Or maybe someone you've heard of. Yeah, no, yeah.
1: I've seen a lot of great players over the years. Um, Joe Maurer is probably one of the best players I've seen. Yeah. Obviously, as a catcher, premium position. The Minnesota as, Twins. Yep. Yeah. They don't fall out of trees when you see a left-handed hitting catcher who looks that strong physically, yeah. has that kind of an approach at the plate, but can also manage a staff and um, – shut down a running game and there it was controversial at the time because mark Pryor was also a huge prospect at the time and it was controversial that the twins went in that direction Mm -hmm. was a hometown kid Um, but obviously they were right Mm -hmm. um so the you know one of the
2: images of a of a pro scout is you you beat the bushes you go to small towns you're you're visiting places that are really really obscure what's the deepest dive you've taken in scouting like
1: where have you gone to go watch a kid well, the Dominican Republic, I mean, I think there's nothing <laughs> I could ever compare. i walked through stuff. I'm not sure what I was walking through to get to a field um, at 5 in the morning, somewhere on that island. I, I don't know where, and not the safest place uh, to go scout a player. Um, and then you get the luxury of going to Pepperdine University, where you're right on the ocean, and everyone's beautiful, and yeah. um, got an amazing campus, Stanford been to a lot of amazing places. I, I'd say the toughest by far, though, was the Dominican. Yeah. How about
2: domestically? Like, what small town have you gone to that you're like, wow, I didn't expect to find a kid who could
1: play here? Um, I've been all over, so I'm trying to think. Um, been to some small colleges, too, where I didn't know. I would say um, Spirit Lake, Idaho. All right. Saw a kid <laughs> named Bobby Jenks, literally lived in a, log cabin he's a closer right yeah yeah uh Uh, white Sox. uh originally angels okay and then he ended up with the white Sox. but i believe he closed for them in the on that championship club Uh, bobby was from spirit lake idaho and just really out in the sticks yeah and just a far cry from my upbringing in andover and well, Bobby yeah. Jenks is a big, burly sort. He I mean, was huge. You I could was... see him in Spirit Lake, Idaho, fishing and hunting. And <laughs> they had to bring him over to Seattle to, to get better competition. Actually, at the time. So. Yeah.
2: What's the neatest story of uh, of a kid that you scouted and signed and ended up having success and he was perhaps under the radar and an underdog and just overcame a lot of adversity to make it happen? What's the coolest story you've
1: been around? So my first year scouting with the Yankees, I had the Northwest, which and they included Alaska. So I got to go up to Alaska for the first time. Mm-hmm. And I'll never forget seeing this kid, a um, kid named Chad Bentz, all American linebacker. Um, but the key here was he only had one arm, uh, like Jim Abbott. He was a left handed pitcher. Um, and I saw him hit a home run with one arm. Mm. I know it's high school competition, it's a metal bat, but that was one of the more impressive things I've ever seen. And there was probably three other people in the stands, and there was a kid sitting next to me who uh, was a classmate of Chad's who I was talking to, and he's a basketball player. I'm like, where are you going to school? And he's like, oh, I'm going to Duke. I was like, oh, okay, that's good good for you. What's your name? Carlos Boozer. Yeah. So NBA I got, to, player. I was watching uh, Chad Benz. And, and Chad, we drafted in the 48th round with the Yankees, um, actually decided not to sign with us, went to Long Beach State, mm-hmm. became a third rounder, mm-hmm. and then eventually made the big leagues with the Expos, yeah. ironically. So. Yeah. Yeah. Now, you mentioned the Gulf Coast League. There are levels of
2: minor league baseball that aren't what most people expect. No. You, know, you think minor league baseball, you think go to the ballpark, buy a hot dog, might be a couple thousand fans in the stands. Talk about those lower, lower, lower levels of minor league baseball. So
1: that's what's so challenging for a high school kid, and that's where we really have to nail the makeup on a high school kid. Is he ready for pro ball? Because if you're the typical high school prospect, We're sending you to either the Arizona Rookie League, if that's where your facility is, or the Gulf Coast League. Now, this is boot camp. It's June 15th. You're in Fort Myers, Florida. The games are at noon. It's 120, and there's nobody in the stands. You just turned down a full scholarship to play at LSU, in front of thousands of fans and a chance to go to the College World Series to do this. And you're living at the Doubletree.
2: Exactly. (laughs)
1: And you're not getting your Hilton points. We're taking those. So um, yeah, that's a little bit of a a glimpse of what pro ball can be like. But if you can make it through that, honestly, you can make it through anything. Now, we're at a high school.
2: And there are kids that maybe want to do someday what you do. I guess a question that they might want to know the answer to is, like, how do you get there from where they are now? What should they be doing to set themselves up for potential entry point in professional baseball or professional sports?
1: Well, if they, I would try to play if – you, if you're if you a player, play as long as you possibly can until they take the uniform off you because that, that time will come – where it's just, it's over and and play as long as you can. That would be my first bit of advice. And if your interest lies in a different part of baseball, try to immerse yourself in any facet of the game. Maybe it's on the business side, but try to get in with, maybe it's with a minor league team. Maybe it's with an independent league team, but try to do something that is baseball related. So when you do get that interview with a club, you weren't working at Merrill Lynch or like you have a job in baseball and that just shows your passion, your willingness to go anywhere at any time. I would try to embrace the fact that people in the front offices, their time is short. Don't send them a novel in your email. Try to come up with a direct connection and be as succinct as possible to get their attention and then leave it at that. If you send a novel of an email, you're going to lose your audience and it'll just get sent and filed away. Yeah. Like I said, the game's going global. So if you have skills in other languages, harness that skill and be as versatile as you can because I'm telling you that these players are coming from all over now. So if you can speak multiple languages or if you're not quite there and you want to get better, follow the sport on Twitter in that language. Spanish, for example, you can follow Major League Baseball in Las Mayores. And you can follow the team reports all in Spanish, and it's not the Rosetta Stone Spanish that you're learning. And, and I, I, I'm grateful for all the Spanish that I learned here at Andover. It gave me a great foundation, but you need to learn baseball Spanish because the moment you get down to the Dominican, a whole different game. Mm. It's 100 miles an hour and a different dialect. Mm.
2: In eras past, it seemed like front office executives, by and large, were comprised of former players guys who played pro ball and maybe played in the major leagues. And now it seems like there's a new wave of kids coming out of prestigious academic institutions who are really in tune with analytics. Um, they're putting their smarts uh, to use in, the, in a baseball realm. They're finding places in professional baseball. What's that trend been like, and is that something you've observed?
1: Oh, definitely. I mean, yeah. clubs are going out of their way. I would say the vast majority of the clubs are now really trying to beef up their analytics department. So I think the next wave, and probably in the next five years or so, is that playing field will level off, and then we're going to have to try to find the best scouts because yeah. the pendulum just goes back and forth. Well, what do you all look for in a scout? Well, it's, first of all, it's a good person that you can trust, someone who's willing to leave their comfort zone and travel.
2: Trust um, is important because you're sending them out there on their own.
1: They're representing you, your yes. organization. If it's a high school or an amateur scout, they're going into families' homes and they're representing the Red Sox and you don't want some guy who's gonna shed a bad light on professional baseball, but you also want someone who has the work ethic, but also the instincts, and that takes years to figure out, all right, does this scout have a feel for what he's looking at? You can't figure that out in one season. It takes years and you have to look at their whole body of work to see where they've been right, where they've been wrong. Now, everyone's going to be wrong at some point. It's just you hope that they're wrong less than they're right.
2: What are a couple maybe favorite Andover memories and influential mentors that you had during your time here?
1: I would say the biggest influence for me from Andover, and I tell people this, baseball's a judgmental world. It's a judgmental industry. It's your job. It's tough. Yeah. But it's also they – years ago when I broke in, they're not taking some kid from Andover or Davidson – in easily you know and I I think the one thing I got out of Andover was I was surrounded by so many talented people that I developed a sense of humility where I didn't take myself too seriously and I think that's the number one tool that we're looking for in baseball no one cares that you're a hall of famer no one cares that you you know you once hit 300 no one cares once you get into professional sports they just care that you're a good person And and I I think that foundation is from Andover, really, because I was surrounded by the best teachers, kids that worked way smarter than me at the time. So
2: So, I just want to leave our audience, put you on the spot here a little bit, Gus. Any
1: um, scoop on off-season moves for the Red Sox you can share? I can't go into specifics, but what I can assure anyone who cares about the Red Sox is that we're trying – we're doing our best to sort of bolster the offense – there's, it's no secret that we missed David Ortiz, but we, we're really confident in our young players that we brought up through the system. A full year of Rafael Devers, uh, another year under Mookie Betts' belt, a full year uh, with Ben Intendi. We're really excited about the young talent and the pitching that we have, obviously. You know We had underperformance all over the field last year, and we have to remind ourselves we still beat the Yankees, who exceeded expectations at almost every spot in the field. So, you know, I know there's a lot of noise right now about lack of activity in the hot stove, but we're going to explore every avenue to try to improve the club.
2: Gus Quattlebaum, Phillips Academy Andover, class of 1993, vice president, professional scouting for the Boston Red Sox. Thanks so much. Thanks, Kim. Thanks for having me.
0: Every Quarter is produced by the Office of Communication at Phillips Academy in Andover. The show is made possible by a grant from the Abbott Academy Fund, continuing Abbott's tradition of boldness, innovation, and caring. You can listen to the show on iTunes. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe. And also check us out at podcast.andover.edu, hashtag everyquarterpodcast. I'm Neil Evans.